Ben uh, read for us uh, from Judges chapter 6, the first of three chapters that that covers uh, the amazing story of Gideon, one of the judges that God appointed to lead the people of Israel. And uh, I want us just to take a little bit of time this morning to just consider that ordinary hero, Gideon. Got a couple of poems for you this morning. Here's the first. History repeats itself. It has to. Nobody listens. I like short poems. (laughs) But I I, I read something else uh, just this week. Uh, A Spanish philosopher called George Santanyana who said pretty much the same thing. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I was just thinking as the violence spills out onto the streets of Belfast this weekend, it's just a real reminder of just not that long ago when every day there was fear of violence in Belfast as two factions kind of slugged it out to try to assert their authority. And actually it's a theme that runs through scripture. I was reading Psalm 78 this morning. Exactly the same thing being said as is being said in this passage this morning. That we need to remember. And we need to remember the good God who saved the people of Israel from slavery who brought them to a promised land, who started a journey that continued and continued and came to Jesus. And that will conclude with that fantastic image of the returning risen Lord Jesus shining in all his glory. And so as we read this story in in Judges of an unlikely hero, really, Gideon, you kind of see that pretty early on. That he, he, even, he sees himself as, as, as the youngest, the weakest of the weakest tribe in Israel. As, as, as he's approached by the angel of the Lord. Verse 15 there. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest and I'm the least in my family. He's an unlikely hero. And yet he was a man working hard doing what he needed to do and attentive to God. And there was the key. He was attentive to God. There is so much in this story. There are, I mean, you could take each of those little bits, the, the wonderful image of the fleece being dry, then wet. Or wet, then dry. Get it right. There's, there's, there's just so many little episodes within that. We could actually just take time to look at each of those. We're, we're going to just try and have an overview today of Gideon. And for me, there seems to be three strands in the story of Gideon. There seems to be the bigger picture of what's going on, which I've kind of already alluded to. Then there's God's solution in chapter 6. And then there's Gideon's response to God's solution. And after that, we maybe see the same things in our own lives and situations this morning. 
And so the bigger picture beyond Gideon and his particular involvement in this story. Last week we looked at Joshua and how Joshua had taken on the mantle from Moses and faithfully tried to serve the people and guide them. And through those years of Joshua's reign, not reign, but his his influence over the people of Israel, they remained faithful to God through all that time. But now, some years on, Israel finds themselves continually putting God to one side. By the time we get to chapter 6 of Judges, we've already had five times in that book alone where it says Israel, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, falling into the worship of idols, worshipping the gods of the Amorites, falling into their own ways of thinking and living and worshipping. See, the people were being continually unfaithful to God, seemingly forgetting him and all that he has done, in spite of the repeated words of Scripture to say, do not forget. I guess it's quite a human trait, isn't it? But we forget, as that poem very simply expressed to us just now. It's a human trait, not just to forget how good God has been to us, but actually how good other people have been to us. It doesn't really matter whether it's, whether it's a, a prima donna footballer. I'm, I'm kind of the, the story of Luis Suarez, the, the Liverpool footballer, who's kind of all got the huff because he's not playing in the Champions League and so he wants to leave and da-di-da-di-da and I'm, I'm the most important. He's kind of forgotten that actually his employers have been very good to him. They've actually put up with a lot of rubbish from a prima donna man. And he very quickly forgets because he thinks of his own self. But actually it comes right down to us how we can forget. Maybe how as children we forgot maybe what our parents did for us. Or maybe we see our children forgetting what we've done for them as parents. Or maybe just forgetting what friends have done for us six months down the line. It's so easy for us to forget read this week somebody who asked the question what does humanity want for itself if its desire is modest then maybe security comfort and reasonable enjoyment is what they want if it's ambitious maybe it's power and wealth and unbridled self-indulgence there's something about human nature in there, isn't there? That we want to keep ourselves comfortable. And that's what the people of Israel were trying to do as they just kind of nestled in with the people around them, just tried to make their lives nice and comfortable, nice and, and smooth. And not that they should be looking for a fight, but they were just looking 
to comfort themselves and in the process they lost God being at the centre of their lives where he should rightfully be. And so that's kind of the bigger picture of this story, that, that the Israelites have been incredibly faithless. And they've put their trust and their worship into the gods around them. So what's God's solution in the story? Well, it seems like, to me, it's very much twofold. Two things that God does. One of those things is about the whole people, and one of them is about Gideon. First of all, in in verses 8 to 10 of uh, Judges chapter 6, you see how God sent a prophet to the people who'd cried out for help because the people had been oppressed by the people of Midian. Having done evil in the eyes of the Lord, they were oppressed, they were overtaken by a people that, that actually took advantage of them and took away some of their inheritance that they had travelled so long for. And that prophet reminds them, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the hand of your oppressors, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. book of Deuteronomy, which the people of Israel would have been so familiar with, time and time and time again, expresses how God requires that no other God be put before him. And that as long as the people were to follow God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength, then they would be blessed by God's presence and protection. But as soon as they ignored that, then they would struggle as they are struggling here. They would have known all that had happened in the Exodus. might not have been written down for them by then, but it certainly would have been passed on by, by word of mouth. And they'd have known what God had said to Moses that I am the Lord your God, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness, maintaining love and forgiving rebelliousness, wickedness and sin. And yet I will not let the guilty go unpunished. Do you know, I think so often we try and domesticate God, don't we? We try and put him into a a place where we think, yeah, well, God can kind of go in that box, in the kind of loving, faithful, kind, good God. But then we'll kind of carry on the rest of our life over here, and he won't mind if I just walk away from him in this bit of my life. He won't mind if I do that. But that's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what the experience of the people of Israel had. And so as they cry out to him for help, they see the consequences. And still they turn to God for help. And so the other part of the solution, apart from God reminding them, Oi, come on, worship me, not anything else. 
God also calls upon Gideon. Gideon, poor bloke. Verse 12, just going about his ordinary business. In fact, he's kind of hiding. He's threshing in a wine press, which I think was a kind of a a big, big old enclosure, but he was grafting away, minding his own business, when the angel of the Lord appears to him. And he says, verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Who are you talking to? Who? What, me? Mighty warrior? Huh? But I'm just, I'm just a farmer. I don't need any of this kind of mighty warrior business. But he recognises that whoever is talking to him, this angel, is from God. And as he enters into conversation, he realises, actually, there's nothing he can do but to respond to God. Well, he could, he could walk away. But he knows he needs to. God calls Gideon to go and save Israel. To go and act. Both to challenge the people's behaviour, which happens in about verse 27. Destroying the altar to Baal, the Asherah pole in his hometown. But also to call them to action, to call them to arms. So what's Gideon's response? Third thing. We've seen the bigger picture of Israel's faithlessness. God's solution to remind the people and to call on Gideon. What's Gideon's response? Well, as we said, he recognises he's not really kind of seeing himself as hero material. That's quite refreshing, isn't it? Because I don't see myself as hero material. I don't know if you see yourself as hero material this morning. But Gideon didn't go out that day to thresh his wheat, thinking, another day for super Gideon. He just went out, normal bloke, trying to do what he could. But that's good, because actually anything that comes out of this is a result of him trusting in God. In God's strengthening and enabling. And actually through chapter 6, he's a bit cheeky, I think, Gideon, really. He keeps coming back to God and saying, look, okay, I think you're talking to me and you're saying this to me, but how about you just make it clear? And God comes through incredibly, time and again. But Gideon knows he needs to come back to God and say, Lord this is the right thing for me to do, please be with me, help me. And so from the the start of this encounter where he goes and gets an offering and the offering is consumed, that must have been pretty striking. And a confirmation that God was about. Then verse 34, the Spirit of God is upon him. And Gideon calls the people to arms. But even then, he feels that maybe I need to test the ground again. All these people are gathered to fight. Maybe I'll just make sure that this really is what God wants me to do and it's not some kind of insane scheme I've cooked up. 
And actually graciously throughout chapter 7 as well, God again and again helps Gideon. Says to him in chapter 7, if you are scared, which just by the way, he would be, because God gets him to get an army together to fight 135,000 Midianites, he manages to muster 32,000, okay? Not a great ratio. But then God says, nah, -uh. these 32,000, I think most of them you need to get rid of, because actually, I want the ones that really are focused on me. He ends up with 300 men to fight 135,000. I kind of worked out, that's a bit like all the population of five heads, about 500 people against me. That kind of ratio. Yeah. Of course he'd be frightened. But God in his mercy says, look, you go down to the Midianite camp after dark and listen in. And he overhears in chapter 7 a dream of one of the Midianite people. A dream that says, actually, we are not going to win. We are going to get beaten. And Gideon goes back to the camp knowing again and again and again that God is with him. And so Gideon is faithful in keeping on coming back to God, back to God, back to God. How often do we kind of go to God once and then just forget about it, leave it there and get on with the rest of our lives when actually we need to keep coming back to him? Keep coming back to him. Keep coming back to him. Open to hear what he might be saying to us. If we think it's a bit kind of out of this world, then maybe coming back and checking, is that right? Maybe going to a friend that we trust and say, Lord... I think the Lord might be saying this to me. Sounds a bit scary to me. What do you think? Can we pray about it? We need to keep coming back to God, as Gideon did there. Now, it's interesting. Gideon isn't perfect. Chapter 8, he allows a few bits and pieces to get in the way. There's a kind of a revenge thing going on in chapter 8. He wants to avenge the death of some of his family. And he even gets a little bit turned by, by some of the plunder that seems to cause problems. But time and again, he puts God back to the centre, God back to the centre, God back to the centre. And that's what makes him a hero. Sure, the amazing things that he did, the story of the battle, amazing story, but God at the centre made him a hero. So how does all that apply to us? It's all very nice, Gideon and, and that story. What about us? What about us? Because actually in, in, the, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says we need to walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes God in his grace does give us really, really clear direction and guidance, doesn't he? But sometimes it doesn't seem to be quite the postcard in the sky that we would really quite like from God. And we need to be attentive to his word, trying to walk with other people, be accountable to them. How does this apply to us? Well, there is a bigger picture. 
And I forgot to ask Steve, are you queued up with that video? Is that okay? You're an absolute star. I'm going to ask you to, to, to watch and to listen to another kind of a poem. I don't really quite know what to, to call this. But actually, I think this, this paints pretty well the bigger picture for us today. It's quite direct, but it makes a point. And so I'll leave you just to, to watch this. The bigger picture for Gideon was spelt out in Scripture. I wonder if there's something of the bigger picture for us in this little video. You might say, I don't believe in God, but the Bible says not possible. See, everyone has a God, whether or not it's the God of the gospel. You might not believe in God, but everyone has that one thing that's king. Even the dictionary defines God as whatever we make supreme. Because it's a theme, it's a thread, you see it inside all human beings, the fact that we all worship. And no, it's not just about singing. Now I know you like, Jeff, I don't worship. I put that on the shelf, but I say technically we all worship. We just worship ourselves. See, we all worship something. To an object we're all liable. Ladies, to some, your boyfriend is your God, and Cosmo is your Bible. Yet, we mock and we laugh at the Israelites' golden calf, but we do the same thing right back. It just looks a little different than that. So, question, what's on your throne? See, what do you chase so that you don't feel alone? See, what defines you what do you give ultimate worth and what if taken would bring ultimate hurt now see that is your god and all of us we've sacrificed deep joy for shallow happiness to be honest we look like fools we're like full-grown adults in the kiddie pool going oh my goodness guys this is like so cool because we're slaves to our possessions we're always craving something new reality check if you can't give it up you don't own it it owns you. And that's why the Bible, it says we're spiritual prostitutes. In fact, it even says we're worse because at least prostitutes get paid for their works. All we get paid is a hearse. And that's why worship, it's not just behavior. It goes way into our core to ask, what is your God? What do you bow down before? For example, some of us, we don't worship God, but we worship what he said. We got theology in our head, but in our hearts, poor, pitiful, naked, and dead. Or some of us worship in stadiums, or some of us worship in bars. Some of us worship our possessions, or some of us worship our cars. See, some of us worship science, or some of us worship the arts, but I don't care what clothes your idol's wearing, the disease is the heart. Or my favorite is those guys who say, Jeff, I'm a man because I'm in control. Okay, then tell me why can't you stop having sex with your hand while staring at your MacBook Pro? Or what about those guys who trade their wives for their jobs at work, give more time to their boss than their actual wives' needs or hurts? And ladies, ladies, no guy can love you more than Jesus already has. So stop putting your worth in Magic Mike. He's so much better than that. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, Jeff, are you saying that we should hate money, hate alcohol, and never have sex? No, but I'm saying God created those all to be enjoyed in their proper context. But I want to transition. I want to make a spiritual incision. Can we really say these things are the ultimate purpose of living? 
I mean, instead of worshiping the creator of you and I, we've all said, screw you, God will take your stuff, but you can die. But that trade is terrible, trading God for man. It's like God offers us water. We say, but God, this is such good sand. Or my friends, they'll say, Jeff, a God that requires me to give up something, I just can't fathom. Yet most of us seem fine giving up everything for a quick orgasm. I mean, am I the only one who's felt the gnawing within? Am I the only one who's felt the weight of my own sin? But see, here's what's unique. Go ahead and critique, but if you hear anything, hear this one thing that I speak. Where we exchange ourselves for God, thinking we can be Him. He exchanged Himself for us, absorbing all our sin. I mean, God literally put on flesh, and do you see how we treated Him, the ultimate war veteran, because He was killed for our freedom. Nonetheless, He was thinking of you and me with every whip that beat Him, knowing full well we'd still go, nah, I don't really need Him. But like a father, He couldn't bear His children to not be free. So He thought up that tree, paid our fee for specks of dirt like you and me, so my plea is let Him Restore his proper place. I promise he loves you right now. Just trust in his grace because before I leave, I'll leave you with this. What are those other things took nails in their wrists? Or how about when's the last time money or sex forgave you? When's your boyfriend set you free from all you're enslaved to? See, what else died so that you could be made new? Or when's the last time the world promised satisfaction and actually came through? Thanks for finding that, Steve. Um, I'll probably still post it up with the words because some of the words were kind of hard to, to track, but I think the point is made that actually we need to be careful that we don't put our ultimate worth in other things and that we keep God at the centre. So that's the bigger picture for us. And the guy alluded to God's solution. He calls us to listen up and to respond, just like he called the people of Israel to listen up and to respond, to be reminded through scripture, to be reminded through one another that actually Jesus came. He exchanged himself for us. He took upon himself our sin so that we could have a relationship with him. And he paid for us. And our response? What is our response to that? You don't have to be a super Christian to respond to God. Was Gideon Superman? Gideon wasn't Superman. But he recognised his weakness. He trusted himself to God. Literally, he put his life on the line. Not many of us will be asked to put our life on the line, will we? Please, Lord. (laughs) Not many of us will. But he knew he had to rely on God, wholly. And God did not leave him or let him go. And so as we see an ordinary hero like Gideon today, I just want us to take away 
that reminder that we need to bring God into the centre of our lives time and time and time again because so easily we put him to the side but actually Gideon was a hero because he kept putting God back in the middle if there are things that hold us things that we think oh well you know I don't think I can quite just let that one go then that's got a hold on us that we need to allow God into and as that guy on the video was saying, there's so many things that aren't wrong in of themselves, but they need to be in their right places in our lives. So that God is at the centre. And we can know that we are walking with him. So let's today be reminded, rather than forgetting, be reminded to allow God his rightful place. So that actually... We don't fall foul of that poem, history repeats itself, it has to, nobody listens. Let's listen, let's allow God to remind us of his goodness, of his grace, but also of his might and his majesty that he cannot be replaced without consequence.